Right, as you guys know, this is my first uh, Sunday evening preaching to you guys uh, through the catechism. And you can thank Dave Allison uh, for the fact that this sermon's probably going to be longer than any of the ones that he's preached. Um, but yeah, we're, uh, we're going to study through the Baptist catechism. Um, and tonight we're in question number five in the white catechism booklets that are on our greeting table. Uh, if you don't have one, I strongly recommend that you get one and start reading through it and memorizing it yourself uh, as part of your daily devotions. But it will be up here on the screen, so if you don't have it, don't worry. Um, now, I, I want to say something briefly about the use of catechisms and preaching through them. Um, I'm sure David said something like this a few months ago when we began, but I, I, I want to say it too. Uh, we view catechisms like we view our church's confession of faith. We don't believe that the catechisms are scripture. We do not believe that they are inspired in any way, but we do believe that they are helpful, concise, and faithful summaries of what the Bible teaches. And so, in light of that, they are useful for instructing the people of God in doctrine and practice. So that's all that I'm going to do this evening. Right? I'm using a tested document that Reformed Baptists have been using since the early 1700s, and I'm using it as an aid to help teach sound doctrine to Christ's church. Uh, but I will also be using scripture, right? I believe that. Uh, after all, the catechism is based in scripture, so we'll be considering the proof texts contained in the catechism. But tonight's sermon has to do with scripture, and I don't think that I'll be teaching you much that you don't already know, maybe a few things. Uh, but the, the truth of God bears repeating because we're prone to forget Right, one, two, just uh, maybe I'm just talking about me, we're dumb, right? And I need stuff pushed in my head all the time. And we're also prone to de-emphasize those things that God wants us to always have on our minds, right? We tend to uh, major on the minors, as it were, right? We're, we're prone to de-emphasize those things God wants us to have on our mind. More than that, to paraphrase John Calvin, we don't come to the preaching to be taught new things every time. Um, often we come so that we might be reminded of truth and have our hearts inflamed with love toward God. So that's what we're aiming for this evening. So with that said, I'll pray and then we'll begin. Our God and Father, thank you for this Sabbath day that we've enjoyed. You met with us this morning and blessed us with your presence. And, and we ask now that you would do it again as we seek to be instructed in the truth. Please make our minds sharp, our hearts open, and our wills subject to your rule. Teach us by your word and spirit and reveal to us the glories of the word of God, the word of Christ, the word of the spirit. We ask for these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, so question number five of the Baptist Catechism. Question, what is the word of God? Answer, the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God and the only certain rule of faith and obedience. Let's, let's read that again together, right? This is what I do with my daughter, actually, when we catechize her with the children's catechism, right? I read it, and then Autumn reads it, and then we ask Piper. So anyway, I'm going to treat you like you're my children, all right? So we're going to read this all together, both the question and the answer. Question, what is the word of God? Answer, the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God, and the only certain rule of faith and obedience. All right. So what is the word of God? That's, that's a phrase we use all the time, word of God. It, it's constant in our lives, in our church services, uh, Christian books, and the Bible. Right? It's everywhere in Christendom. Christendom, it is ubiquitous. Right? It's everywhere. 
So what are we talking about when we talk about the word of God? That's what this question is asking. And sure, it's basic, right? You're like, what do you mean you don't know what the word of God is? Uh, but it's so basic that it needs answering because it's fundamental to our faith. And so that's going to be our focus this evening. What is the word of God? Well, for starters, the catechism begins by telling us what constitutes the word of God. Right? The word of God is the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament. That is Genesis to Revelation, the 66 books of the canon, the 66 books of the Bible, 39 books of the Old Testament, and the 27 books of the New Testament. When we talk about the Word of God, that's what we're talking about. This is our standard or our rule. Right? That's, what we're, that's what the Word of God is. This is what God has given to us. This is what God has given to reveal himself to his people until Christ returns. As paragraph 1 in our confession says, or rather chapter 1, paragraph 1, in times past, in many different ways, God spoke through prophets and all this. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, and I'm paraphrasing a lot here now. And all of this has been committed unto writing for the propagation of the truth in his church. Right? So again, the, the word of God. This is what we have since the age of the apostles that God has given to his people to sustain us and teach us and reveal himself to us until Jesus comes back. But why these books? There's a question. Why these 66 books and not others? That's a question I like to address very briefly. If you're uh, interested in apologetics, this is a question you have to answer if you deal with Roman Catholics. Why these books and not others? Also, in any cult that you deal with, you'll have to answer this, but we actually disagree with Rome on how many books are in the Old Testament. They use what's called what we call the Apocrypha. right? They have books that we don't use. So why these books? And I want to address that very briefly. And I want to be clear, I, I'm not going to even scratch the surface on all that can be said. There are books you can read. Um, but I want to give you some stuff to chew on about why we, we receive the 66 books of the Old and New Testament as the Word of God. Um, first, let's consider the Old Testament. Uh, clearly, the Old Testament was accepted by our Lord Jesus, right? And we're going to follow his lead. Why? Because we are Christians, <laughs> We follow the Christ. So whatever he accepts, that's what we're going to accept. And throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus referencing the law, the writings, and the prophets. You've heard that phrase. Or the greatest commandment, love God and love your neighbor. Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, all the law and the prophets hinge on this, or hang upon this. So the law, the writings, and the prophets is what Jesus refers to. And he doesn't always mention all three together, but he does mention all three when he's teaching or debating with people. And maybe you didn't know this, but the law, writings, and prophets are a shorthand Jewish way for referencing the 39 books of the Old Testament. So bear with me. I'm going to use a few Hebrew words and probably butcher them. Um, the law refers to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses. The prophets refer to the Nevi'im, right? That's many of the prophetical books. Think of the big ones, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Uh, along with Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, and 1st and 2nd Kings. That's the prophets. And then the writings refer to what the Jews call the Ketuvim. That is the wisdom literature. So Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, uh, those books, the wisdom literature. Uh, with Ruth, Lamentations, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Right? So Jews often refer to the law, the prophets, and the writings with an abbreviated nickname. And it's if you take just a couple of the letters off of Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim, you get the Tanakh. Maybe you've heard that if you've 
ever uh, watched rabbinical Jews speak or read any books on it. The Tanakh, that's the Old Testament. That is the Bible of the ancient Jews. Now, we know from history that they had other books that they would read and reference, right? Many of them in the Catholic Apocrypha. But only these books in the Tanakh were recognized as scripture given by God with his authority. And again, these are the same 39 books as our Old Testament. The Lord, and, and the Lord Jesus affirms them as scripture and recognizes no others during his earthly ministry. He's always referencing the Tanakh whenever he teaches. He always quotes from one of the books of the Old Testament. Right, so then, this is our Old Testament and we receive it on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now we consider the New Testament. Well, the New Testament was written by apostles and what we call apostolic men. Right? Well, you say, what's an apostolic man? Apostolic men are men who wrote and taught under the direction and supervision and approval of the apostles. Think of James. James wasn't an apostle. Mark. Mark wasn't an apostle. Luke. Right? He wasn't an apostle either. So there were apostles who wrote scripture, like Paul, Peter, John, and then apostolic men who wrote under the supervision and with the approval of the apostles. Now we know that the apostles were directly commissioned by the Lord Jesus to teach in his name and establish the church. Apostolos, right? Sent ones. A messenger with all the authority of the one who sent. Right? So these apostles have all the authority of Christ, and so they had the authority to write scripture and oversee the writing of scripture. This is not a stretch. This would come with their office. And when the apostles did anything formally as apostles, they were doing it with the authority of Christ. And so we receive what they authorized and what they taught. Right? Or, or yeah, what they wrote or taught or authorized. Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 20, referring to the church, says it is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets, these are the men who wrote scripture. Apostles and apostolic men were inspired by God to write. Now, to be clear, not all prophets wrote scripture, right? You can see there are a couple of prophets in the book of Acts that we have no books from. Um, and from some of the letters, uh, especially to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, it seems like prophecy was actually uh, going on in churches at a, at a somewhat strong rate, right? Because remember, they also don't have the complete canon yet. They don't have the whole Bible, so this... Sounds very much like something God would do. Um, not all prophets wrote scripture, but all scripture writers were prophets. We'll get into that in a minute. And these are the men, the apostles and prophets, who laid the foundation for the church under the direction of the Lord Jesus. And their writings were the biggest work in laying that foundation. Uh, more than that, just again, why, why the New Testament? How, why do, how do we know we should receive the New Testament? The scriptures were attested by miracles and fulfilled prophecy in the days that they were written. And what do I mean by that? Well, they, they were written by apostles who worked miracles. <laughs> and their miracles were intended to be signs. Signs for what? Pointing to their authority that they were sent by God with something to say from him. That's why you, whenever you read the book of Acts, the apostles roll into a town. They start performing miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they start preaching. Why? They're saying, you should listen. Clearly we come from God. Here's what he says. Right? So that's what we're getting at. The apostles clearly have, have, have attested to what they wrote through miracles. And those who were sanctioned and affirmed by those apostles who worked miracles gave true prophecy. Uh, quickly, a note here. It, it, it's good to note at this time that the scriptures were received by the people of God quite quickly after being written. Like I'm talking by the end of the second century, there's not really any debate 
hardly on what Scripture is. So the people of God, the church, recognized the Scriptures for what they were, that they were the Word of God. Please hear me. This is where we disagree with Rome. This is important. The church did not make Scripture what it is. The church did not give Scripture its authority. That's what the Roman church teaches. The Scripture has its authority because the church gave Scripture its authority. That's blasphemy. It's not in my notes, so I'm not going to go there for right now. (laughs) Rather, the Scriptures have intrinsic authority because they come from the mouth of God. The church doesn't give Scripture authority. The church receives and recognizes what God has done when he inspired Scripture. To put it this way, to paraphrase what our Lord says in John's Gospel, the sheep heard the voice of the shepherd speaking in the word and said, that's him. I hear his voice and I recognize it. In theology, we call this the self-authenticating nature of Scripture, and it's a supernatural thing. God guided his church to receive his word, and so we receive it. But I like to ask questions. How do we know that these scriptures are the word of God? I've just given you some arguments, some things to chew on. How do we know? Like beyond a shadow of a doubt, how do we know these these scriptures are the word of God? Our confession says something really helpful here. In the London Baptist Confession, or the second London Baptist Confession, chapter 1, paragraph 5. It's a little lengthy quote, just bear with me. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church of God to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scriptures and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation and many other incomparable excellencies and entire perfections thereof, are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. So I stopped there because it's not done, and we're going to get back into it in a second. But our confession says there are so many different evidences that we could give to argue and prove that the scriptures are the word of God. We could talk about how the church has received it as such. We could talk about how it changes lives, the efficacy of the doctrine. Right? It's, it's effective. It changes lives. That the majesty of the style, that it's more beautiful than all the other books you can read. Right? That it doesn't contradict the consent of all its parts. Even though it was written by 40 authors over centuries and centuries, that it doesn't contradict that it, the, it, the, the scope of the whole, which is to give all the glory to God. That is, it tells one big story that glorifies God and not men. Surely that sounds like a divine book. We could talk about how it shows the only way of salvation. And how it's clearly God's initiative in salvation and many other things. And all of those things are good for us to consider and know and meditate on and even argue from at times. That's good. But at the end of the day, how do we know? At the end of the day, those reasons are not why we receive the Bible to be the word of God. Our confession goes on to say, yet notwithstanding, ooh, So in spite of all that, like all that's true, yet notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance, we are persuaded and assured of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. In other words, the Bible is divinely revealed by the Spirit of God to each one of us personally. God testifies 
to each one of us inwardly in our hearts by his spirit, and he testifies that the Bible is the word of God. So we receive the word of God as the word of God because God himself has convinced us in our hearts. There are many rational reasons that we can give for why we receive the book, but this is the root and final reason that we believe it. Because God has spoken to us internally and supernaturally and has confirmed that the scriptures are from him. You say, where's the Bible for that? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12 says this. These things, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. That's why you've received the Holy Spirit. That you might understand the things that God has given and he has given us, if nothing else, his word, so that we might understand his word. So it is the spirit who has opened our minds and hearts to receive the word of God as the word of God. And listen, early on when I was first studying the confession, right, because I wasn't, I wasn't born a Reformed Baptist, um, <laughs> some of you knew me, uh, that's not how that worked. Uh, but I used to not like this. I was like, well, that just sounds like way too, like, just subjective, right, that well, how do you know the Bible is the word of God? Because God told me, right? Because God testified to me as I read the scriptures. He spoke through his word and confirmed my spirit that this is the word of God. Again, that's not the only thing we can say, but we can say that's the root of it. I used to not like that. But listen, brothers and sisters, we should not be ashamed to say this. Our religion is not rationalistic. I'm not saying it's irrational, but I'm saying it's not rationalistic. Our religion is supernatural. Our religion is not unreasonable. Right? But rather, there is an undeniable supernatural element to all of it. Why? Because it's from God. We're dealing with unseen things. We're dealing with the God who is immaterial and is above his created order. Of course, there's going to be supernatural and what we would call subjective elements to this. As God works in one heart, but not another. Of course there is. This is supernatural stuff. So that's the first part of our answer. And we're still not done. The word of God is the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament. The catechism continues and tells us that these books are the word of God. They are the word of God. You say, you, well, you've just been talking about how they're the word of God. No, I want you to catch this. I think this is what our confession is emphasizing here. The holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament are not primarily from men. They are not primarily from men. Yes, each book has a human author, and each book bears some of the marks of its human author. Like Paul sounds like Paul. John sounds like John. Paul has words that he likes to use that Luke didn't like to use, right? So there is a human author, but, and this is forgotten in a lot of modern Bible interpreters, right? They'll try to isolate, well, you should only look at Paul if you want to know what Paul meant. That's nonsense because there is a primary author to Scripture, a capital A author. God, God himself. These, are, these scriptures are the word of God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Or 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. You know, whenever you talk, I thought this was a good illustration for this. This isn't original to me. You know, whenever you talk, if you put your hand in front of your mouth, you can feel the air coming out. All scripture is breathed out by God. That's what scripture is. God speaks, and scripture is the air that comes out of his mouth. God spoke to men. He carried them along by his spirit to write exactly what he intended them to write. The book of God comes from the mouth of God. It is his very breath. He exhales scripture. Therefore, the book is from him first and foremost. So maybe we shouldn't always say, well, you know, Paul wrote. No, we should say God has said. I'm not saying it's illegitimate to say Paul wrote this because Paul did write it. But underneath that should be the theological understanding. God said. That's how Jesus understood the scriptures, as I pointed out this morning from Psalm 110. David, in the Holy Spirit, said, what's he saying? Being carried along by the Spirit of God, being inspired by God, David wrote this. So, brothers and sisters, God has spoken in his word. In the Bible, we have, consider this, we have the record of God's works, words, commandments, and gospel from God's own perspective. That's kind of cool to think about. God says, here's what I did from my point of view. That's really amazing. We hold in our hands the divine account of the work of the divine. We have God's record of God's actions. In the Bible, God speaks to each one of us. He speaks to humanity in general, and he speaks to his church. Know this, please. The book that you hold in your hand is alive because it comes from the living God. So hear me. When the book of God is read, God is speaking. People always say, and some of you have heard this, but I thought it was fitting here. People often like to say, I wish God would speak to me. Well, read your Bible. Right? Or, I, no, I, I want to hear God speak audibly to me. Well, then read your Bible out loud. Right? That, that's how this works. In the Bible, God is revealing himself, his will, and his works. He's revealing the way of salvation through faith in Christ. He's giving wisdom to those who will listen and submit to it in faith. He's speaking in the scriptures. So, brothers and sisters, we should revere the word as such. Hear me. It is no boring thing to read or hear the word. If you think that that's the case, then it's either your own human frailty, which may the Lord have mercy on us because we are frail, or it's our own sin for not recognizing what we're reading as, as the very word of God. Lastly, our, our catechism says that the Bible is the only certain rule of faith and obedience. And this is what I like to get hype over, and some of you guys know that. This makes me excited. The only certain rule of faith and obedience. This book is what we are to listen to above everything else. The Bible is what instructs and guides us in the things of God. Please hear me. The Bible alone. Sola Scriptura. Right? It's one of our principles. We're Protestants. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. It is the only certain rule of faith and obedience. Here, check that. The only certain rule. It is the only thing that we now have after the age of the apostles has ceased. It is the only thing that the church possesses that we know is absolutely from God, that we know is infallible, that we know is inerrant, and we know will not steer us wrong. It is the only thing that we have that's like that. It is the only certain rule. The 
the word is our rule. It's our measuring rod. It's our standard. Hear me, not men, not popes, not traditions, not councils, not some fool on TV speaking gibberish and calling it tongues, not some feeling in your gut, not your own thoughts, and certainly not the wisdom of the world. None of those things are our standard and rule for life and godliness. Scripture alone, this is what God has given us. He has spoken in his word and he did not waste his breath. And hear me, right? I love our confession. I love the, the second London Baptist confession. I almost got a tattoo of it on the back of my hand. And I thought that's a little bit too over the top, right? I don't need to do that. Someone stop me. I still kind of want to do it, but <laughs> I love our confession, but not even our confession is the rule of faith and obedience. We do not have a paper pope in this church. Even our confession must be evaluated by the scriptures to measure if it is true or not. It even says so in the first chapter. It's a human document after all. We only accept even our beloved confession. We only accept it as a church because we believe that it accurately summarizes what the Bible says. Now, maybe you're asking, again, if you're like me, you're a skeptical person, where does the Bible teach this? Where does the Bible teach that the scriptures are the only certain rule, that the scriptures are sufficient? Well, let me show you. Luke chapter 16. Yeah, you didn't think we were going to go there. A lot of you didn't, I don't think. Luke 16. There we read about the rich man and Lazarus. Well, you're thinking, what does that have to do with scripture? Well, the rich man goes to hell after living a life apart from God. And while he's in hell, he sees Abraham and Lazarus far off, right? Not in hell. So they're in the same general realm. I think they're all in Hades. That is the realm of the dead. And, but they're not in the same compartment. That's another thing to get into uh, at another time. But he speaks to Abraham. And the rich man begs Abraham to go and warn his brothers about hell so that they'll avoid it. And then we read in Luke 16, verses 29 through 31. So he says, he says to Abraham, he says, go and warn my brothers that they might avoid this place. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That's powerful. That's powerful. Abraham, if you came back from the dead and warned them of, etern of, of, of eternal realities, they would repent. And he says, nope, if they won't listen to the Bible, they ain't going to listen to anybody. They have the Bible. Let them hear the Bible. That is enough. No amount of miracles is going to change anyone's mind. Scripture is enough. It is more sure and certain even than miracles. The Bible alone is to be heeded even more than a miracle worker. Scripture alone. Another text, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, says something similar. To the teaching and to the testimony. It's a good phrase. Here's a good rule for you. To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn or light. To the word of God we go. That's what Isaiah says. To the word of God. If someone will not speak in line with what God has spoken, it's because they have no light in them. They do not have the light of God in them. We are without Light, we are in darkness without the word of God, so we must cling to it, to the law and to the testimony, to the teaching and to the testimony. A final text, and the most famous of all of them, is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete. Let me read that again. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul, speaking to the young pastor Timothy, says, Timothy, if you have the Bible, you have enough to do all your work as a pastor. You are complete for the ministry, Timothy. You are ready for every good work. Well, what would every good work? Teaching sound doctrine, Christian ethics, counseling, church discipline, proper living. Everything that you need to do as a pastor, Timothy. If you have the book, you're lacking nothing. Quick thought. Let's reason through this. What does that have to do? Because you're saying, well, I'm not a pastor. No, you're not. <laughs> if the minister has everything he needs to do his job, his job sufficiently, then surely the laity has all they need as well. The demands on the minister are higher in the Christian life often. So if the minister is, is sufficient when he has the book, certainly so is everybody else. Brothers and sisters, we don't need anything else. That's a glorious thing. I'm serious. That's a glorious thing to know. If someone comes up to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you, and you say, nope, I'm all good, thanks, I got a book. I have what he told me. I don't know if he told you anything, but I know what he said in here. Take that somewhere else. That's freeing. How kind of God to give us a book. The Bible is clear. When you have the Bible, you have all you need. Now, let's be clear. You need to apply yourself to understand the book properly, and that takes effort. That takes work. That's why God gave to his church pastor teachers, as the book of Ephesians says, right? At the risk of sounding uh, arrogant, Stephen and I are gifts to this church. Why? Because this is what we do, right? God has blessed us with intellects and, and the ability and the time, right, to be able to get into this and study these things that we might instruct you and share with you what God has freely given to us. What a blessing that is, right? So, so we must apply ourselves to understand the book properly, but nevertheless, the point is the Bible, when rightly understood, is sufficient. We don't need anything else. It is the only certain rule of faith and obedience. So for application now, I want to put three brief things before you. And I mean very brief. First, cherish the book. Cherish the book. I remember I, 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 remember I, was, I was knocked over one time. I heard a Puritan, or rather I heard a quotation from a Puritan that I cannot remember. Yeah, I didn't hear any Puritans. They're dead. Um, <laughs> um, but I heard a quote from a Puritan where he said, and this is really sobering. He said, we should, he said for, for as much as we neglect the word, God should take it from us. And then he said this, our cry to God should be, please don't take your word. Take my children, but don't take, my, don't take your word from me. That's actually true. That should be, I would rather have the book than even my own flesh and blood because I must have the book. Cherish the book. Since the Bible is all of the things that we've seen this evening, shouldn't we regard it as our greatest treasure? These are the words of Almighty God given to us from his own mouth. The God who loves us and gave his son up for us all has spoken to us and revealed himself that he, rather that we might know him. This is grace. This is love. This is kindness. This is glorious. Cherish the book. Second, reverence the book. It is what it says it is. It's the word of God. When the book is read, I mean this. This is a note for all of us when we're in corporate worship. When the scriptures are read, sit up straight. I don't just, I mean in your heart. You can slouch if you want as long as in your heart you're sitting right. 
Sit up straighter when the book's read. Pay attention. Focus. Focus your mind on what's being said. Why? God is talking. Would you ever whisper to your neighbor if God was standing in the room speaking? Nonsense. God is speaking when the book is read. This is serious business. He's speaking to you by his spirit working alongside the word. So show the Bible, whether in your home, during family worship, here during corporate worship, in your personal devotional reading, show the book the reverence that it deserves because it is the very word of God. Third, rely on the book. It's sufficient. It's sufficient. Rely on it. It is our only certain rule of faith and obedience. God has spoken and his word is enough. Look to the word. Listen to it. Think deeply on it. Receive it in faith and obey whatever's contained in it. Rely on it. Why? Because it's trustworthy. It's a sure and steady guide for your soul. Brothers and sisters, the book of God is precious and powerful. May God grant each one of us faith to receive it as such. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for your book. God, there is only enough revelation in nature to let us know that there is a God and that we have offended him with the way we've been living and that we're damned. But there is not enough revelation in nature to save our souls. But in your book, you have told us how to be saved. In your book, you have revealed to us what you're like with specifics. In your book, we see your son, the Savior. In your book, God, we receive instruction in what pleases you. Your, your word is our wisdom, God. Please help us, help us to receive it as such. And not just formally, Lord. It's really easy for us to tick boxes, especially those of us who consider ourselves reformed and say, well, yeah, sola scriptura, and we believe that. But God, help us to actually have convictions about this, that we would love your word, that we would be able to, to shout Psalm 119 at the top of our lungs and say, I love the law. I love the word. Put that in our hearts, Lord. And help us to walk in step with what you've revealed, believing and obeying. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.